And the reading is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I'm really struck about the bit that says a voice of one crying in the wilderness. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etruria, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Thanks be to God. Sorry about this. He said he ought to get a clap for it. (laughs) Well, just to tell you where we're going, I'm going to look first at the message that John the Baptist brought as the forecomer and the forerunner, and then we're going to look very briefly at who is the forerunner for the second coming. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your living word that even now can touch our hearts and change our lives. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open to you, that whatever you say to us, we will respond to and be obedient, that it will bring honour to your name. Amen. Don't you think that the preparations for Christmas are very confusing for children? They learn about the baby born in the manger and Santa coming down the chimney. And I'm sure most of us have seen films where they show the reindeer, Santa and the reindeer going across the moon, see the silhouette going across the moon. And there are the angels up in the sky giving a message to the shepherds. All very confusing for children, isn't it? And we noticed this a few years ago when one of our grand- grandchildren wanted to say grace at a meal, we were all sitting around the dinner table, closed our eyes, and he said, Dear Father Christmas. And then suddenly realized he got it wrong. He said, Oh, no, no. <laughs> but it can be confusing. So easy to muddle up the real meaning of Christmas with all the trappings. The reality is that we are, we are preparing to celebrate the most amazing event in world history when God came down to earth in his son to save mankind. That's the truth of Christmas. We've heard a little bit about what it means to be a forerunner. But just to tell you something more, in ancient times, when a king was going to come to a certain place, forerunners were chosen to go before him to announce his coming and prepare the people to meet their king. So what an honor to be the one chosen to prepare.
prepare the way for the King of Kings, God himself, Emmanuel. And this was John the Baptist's role. It had been foretold by prophets hundreds of years earlier. He could have chosen the priesthood because that was his family line. But he saw Jesus as the reality that everything else in all history had been leading up to. And his whole aim in life was to proclaim Jesus, to reveal him to the world. So what was his message? We've heard a little bit on the clip. He was talking about the Messiah who was going to come. And he was the great leveler. He was going to bring down the high and mighty and haughty and those who thought they were all powerful. And those who were needy and poor were going to be lifted up. There's a verse that I really love that's in 1 Samuel. It's Hannah's song, but it's also in one of the Psalms. And it says, he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles. Isn't that wonderful? The thought of being lifted from the lowest of the low and made to sit with nobles. Wonder. That's what Jesus came for, the great leveler, making things fair. And where people are made crooked because of sin, either their own or sins done to them, those were going to be smoothed out. This was the, the task of the Messiah who was coming. He was the light coming into the dark world. And John's task was to point to that light so that everyone who believed on him could be brought out of darkness. But first, and this is what John stressed in his message, there had to be repentance. Now we have to remember that the audience John was preaching to had a good grasp of Old Testament teaching. They may have wandered far from God, but they didn't know about God. They knew that he was good. They knew that he loved them. They knew that he wanted to save them. They had all that background teaching. All they needed to know was how to respond now in order to get back to God and to come into his blessings. And many people who attend church on a regular basis are also in the same boat. We know all about God. We know that he loves us. We know that he sent Jesus. But we also have to repent in order to come into his promised blessings. We sometimes get confused about the meaning of repentance. We mix it up with remorse or regret, which is totally different. Repentance means seeing that we are sinners going our own way and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, changing direction and choosing to go God's way. This may be dramatic, with tears of sorrow for our sin, or it may simply be a wonderful relief that Jesus has paid the penalty that we know we deserve. But it always involves a change of direction, a new way of thinking. Now, this may be quite controversial, and I haven't checked it out with Tim, he agrees with this, but I believe that some Christians have never actually repented They've heard the good news that Jesus died for sin and that he prepares a place in heaven and they've just added all that to their own lives still going on 
in the same direction, never actually changing, still running their own lives in their own way. There may be some here like that. And they wonder why they don't experience the joy that Jesus promises. Why does he seem so distant? What's wrong? I believe it all. What's missing? Because it's possible to come to church, to read our Bibles, to pray, to believe that Jesus died for us, and still have an unrepentant heart. Still running our own lives. And the reason I know that's true is because that happened to me. I became a Christian when I was 12. Well, you don't know much about sin when you're 12, do you? I was a naughty child, but I wouldn't have thought of myself as a sinner, not at 12. There was not much I could do wrong, really. But I saw pictures of Jesus, and I heard stories of Jesus, and longed to know him. And when I was 12, I was told that he wanted to live in my heart. And I was overwhelmed, and I asked him in, and I knew that he had come. Many, many years later, when I was married with three children, I saw the state of my heart for the first time. I really didn't know that I was a sinner. And the Holy Spirit just showed me what I was like. And I can remember sobbing and sobbing and saying to God, it's not what I do that's all wrong. It's me inside what I am. And I was desperate. And I then had the joy of being lifted out of that desperation and experiencing something of the grace of God. Because God doesn't want us to wallow in guilt. That's not what repentance is all about. He wants to shatter our self-centeredness so we can grasp the enormity of his grace. And this sentence is something, I don't know who wrote it, but I read it many years ago, and it still touches my heart now. Know yourself to be wicked, and God will wrap you in the mantle of his goodness. That is repentance. Seeing what we are, hating what we are, not wanting to go on like that anymore, and God comes and loves us just as we are, and we turn around. We start to think differently, feel differently. Our desires are different. We want God's way, not our own. And the most important thing in life is to bring him joy. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Well, it wasn't for many years for me, but from that moment when I saw what I was really like, that was my desire to live for Christ. So every step towards God is one of thanksgiving. Even when we come with confession of sin, it should come with thanksgiving because we're moving into God's blessings. Now some of us who are a bit older can't express it quite like the picture. Some of you young ones may, but I'm sure there are many here that feel it in their hearts that leap of joy, because we've come from what we know we are into what God is making us. We see the enormity of his grace. So I wonder if there's anyone here that still feels that, that you're missing out somehow, that you haven't seen your own heart, you haven't seen what Jesus can do to turn you around. 
Do talk to someone afterwards if there's anyone like that. Because God wants us to know what we are and then to know what he can be to us. He wants to bring us into that joy. When we experience this, it enriches all our preparations for Christmas as we begin to realize what God's grace is really all about. Why should he have come to the earth for me? Why should he love me? When we've seen our own corruption, it makes us amazed that he could love us as he does. Now, Advent is not just the season for preparing to celebrate the first coming of Jesus. It's also an opportunity to consider his second coming when he returns in glory as king and judge. We've seen that John the Baptist was the forerunner of his first coming. So who's the forerunner for his second coming? There are some people who feel specially called to be forerunners and they call themselves friends of the bridegroom. They've set up prayer houses all over the place. I think it's mainly in America. Whether they're of God or not, I don't know. But I do believe that all Christians are meant to be forerunners. We're all meant to be preparing the way for the return of Jesus. So what qualifies us for the task? John the Baptist was wonderfully qualified, as we'll be looking at in our house groups during the week. What qualifies us to be forerunners of his second coming? There's a wonderful verse in Luke 7:28. Jesus said, Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. How can that be? How can we be greater than John the Baptist? Well, if you imagine a modern wedding, John the Baptist would be like the best man, getting everything ready for the bridegroom. So what are we? Well, the Bible tells us we are the bride. We're the bride of Christ. And that's staggering. So how, as a bride, do we prepare for this wonderful wedding when our bridegroom returns? There are several things mentioned in 1 Peter 4, a whole list of things we should do to be ready for this wonderful event. The first thing is to keep fervent in prayer, to spend time with him, to delight in him, to bask in his love, to tell him we're longing to see him, longing for the time when he comes back. Keep that love for him burning in our hearts. The next thing we should do is to help each other to get ready. To love one another. If you remember in the early church, those outside said, see how those Christians love one another. That should be the hallmark of the bride of Christ. We love each other because we love Jesus, the bridegroom. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And as we love one another, we cover up our shortcomings, our failings. I think it's a terrible thing when a Christian will criticize another Christian behind their back. We are told we're the apple of God's eye. And to pull down another Christian is to touch the apple of God's eye. 
and it should never, ever happen. If we have disagreements, we go to the person concerned, but never pull each other down. We're here to love one another, to build each other up, to encourage each other. I love that, because even though it's, it's cats and not people, I like the arm round. The devil is a great discourager. He'll do everything to discourage us. So let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other. Help each other to go on. Help each other to get ready. Let's serve each other with the gifts that God has given us. Read all this in 1 Peter 4. This is how we prepare for the bridegroom to come. Also, we need to be reaching out to unbelievers, pointing them to Jesus. Are we, like John the Baptist, preparing hearts to receive him? Unlike those who are regular churchgoers, most people outside don't know that God loves them. They have no idea that he wants a relationship with them. And this is the message we need to take out to them. God has set his heart on you. You're precious to him. And this is the way we prepare the way for Jesus to come into someone's life. Now, some people have many obstacles, which makes it almost impossible for them to believe. And our task is to remove those obstacles, remove the stones as we prepare that highway. I just want to tell you briefly about someone we met in Ibiza called David. And he was an entertainment rep. And his parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. And he'd obviously been brainwashed from childhood. And when we first met him, he said to us, I'm an atheist, and then walked straight on. And he tried to avoid us all the while we were there. We were there eight weeks. And by the time we left, on our last evening, he was sharing all his hopes and dreams with us. All the barriers had gone down, and he was so warm and so friendly, and we felt so close to him. And I believe that God was using us to get rid of those obstacles, to prepare the way. We didn't actually talk to him about Jesus. He's probably heard all that all through his life. We didn't say anything from the Bible. We just loved him. And I now believe that somebody will introduce Jesus to him and the way is open and he'll be able to respond. So that's a task for us to do as forerunners. Remove the obstacles, prepare the way for Jesus to come into people's lives. And then they too will be ready with us when he returns. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus' first coming. Let us determine to be forerunners of his second coming, preparing the way for the King of glory to come back into our world, to establish his kingdom, and to make all things new. I just want to close by reading a verse of a hymn, a very, very old hymn. Only the older ones here might know it. Very old hymn. But it touches me when I read it. Let's just look at that as I read it. When by the gift of his infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me 
glory for me when by his grace I shall look on his face. That will be glory. Be glory for me. Amen.